Good afternoon and welcome back. It is the final, the season finale of the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. We are so glad to have you with us. We are going to be talking about disabling, disability, and a few other things as we come to our end of year wrap up in five, four, three... Welcome back to our final episode of the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet for season, I guess I want to say this is going to be season two. We've got so many shows in the can, and I am so happy to be joined with us, or be joined rather, with our students as we end this semester, another semester in the pandemic. I want all of you to go ahead and introduce yourselves and check in. We'll start with Ms. Hayes. Hey, I'm Shania Hayes. I'm a junior, and I'm excited to be here. Very good. And then we'll come back to our resident thinker, and I think a graduate, right? New graduate, Miss Kristen Bowman? Um, yes, my name is Kristen Bowman. I'm a senior here at North Carolina Central University, majoring in Mass Comm. Um, Glad to have you with us, as always. And then we'll come to a man who held it down when I was not doing too well under the weather, Stuart Scott. Mr. Scott, how are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, I am Stuart Scott. Uh, my major is mass communications with a concentration in broadcast media, and I am a senior. It is glad. I am very glad to be here. Are you graduating this year? I am graduating uh, in December, yes. Oh, okay. Well, we'll probably see you in another class, I'm sure. We're glad to have you with us. And we'll now go to Ms. Sanchez. Tell us about yourself again. Hi, my name's Tamara Sanchez. I'm a senior as well, graduating in spring 2021. Um, my major is Mass Communications with a concentration in PR, Public Relations. Fantastic. And... Last but not least, joining us is Miss Kristen Stargell. Kristen, why don't you check in for us? Good morning. My name is Kristen. Um, I'm a junior mass communications major here at Central. Good morning. Well, it's afternoon, two o'clock, and afternoon. This is pretty- <laughs> no worries. It is that time. We are all ready for this thing to be over. You all have gone through an awful lot this semester. Um, And you should be commended for, again, surviving another semester in the middle of a pandemic. And today we have a very interesting show. Our show today is going to be talking about disabling ableism. And as we talk about disabling ableism, I think we need to begin to unpack what is the term ableism? Who wants to go ahead and start with that? What is ableism? Ableism is uh, discrimination in favor of able-bodied people. Okay, so what exactly does that mean? To be more specific, uh, it's discrimination and social prejudice against people with disabilities and uh, people who are perceived to be disabled. Very good. So as we talk about that, give us some examples of ableism because we had a very interesting discussion about it. Let's talk about what, I mean, let's begin to try to unpack this thing called ableism. What is it? What does ableism look like? One example in everyday life is like how some buildings aren't like handicap accessible. Like they might only have stairs um, and no ramp for handicapped people. That is a form of ableism a lot of us don't think about that we partake in because we don't necessarily need the ramp if we're able-bodied and we don't think about the people who do need it. So that was one thing I found looking up ableism, I found really interesting. Somebody else. Give us another example. Yeah, Chad, go ahead. uh, I think another example is um, putting people with disabilities in different schools and different institutions other than, you know, other kids, basically making them feel different or like they're not normal like the other kids and just separating them in that way. Okay. Somebody else. 
Um, even the way that we talk like on a daily basis and some of the terms that we use, um, we don't realize that it's actually like offensive to disabled people. So, right. If we take a look at our website, accessible accessliving.org, it's a blog that we have. It says, what does ableism look like? The lack of compliance with disability rights or laws like ADA, segregating students with disabilities into separate schools, the use of restraint and seclusion as a means of controlling students with disabilities, segregating adults and children with disabilities, failing to incorporate accessibility into building design plans and, and buildings without braille on signs, elevators and so forth, buildings inaccessible or building inaccessible websites, uh, the assumption that people with disabilities want or need to be fixed, using disability as a punchline or mocking people with disabilities, refusing to you know, make the reasonable accommodation eugenics movement and the mass murder of people in Germany when you think about that. So that's kind of deep. Do you think that we ever engage in that sometimes? Because I think we had that conversation once before. I mean, what do you think? Do you think as able-bodied people that we take for granted some of the things we say and some of the things we do? I think I definitely do partake in it a lot more than I thought I did um, when I was researching on it. Just like how I said about the building thing, that's something like I never thought about. Like if a ramp wasn't there for a handicapped person, it's never something that crossed my mind because I don't need it. So I do realize, and then saying stuff like he's so crazy or, you know, I'm a little bit bipolar, just stuff like that in our everyday lingo that we probably shouldn't be saying, but we still do say. What about you, Tamara? What do you say, Ms. Sanchez? Um, I definitely do think that we take the things for granted just because we don't keep in mind of those type of things because it's not a part of our lives. Um, I, for one, definitely do have to protect myself, like, just being mindful of others and what they do go through, like she said, like, saying little things like that. Um, even I've seen, like, people that will block the ramps or certain things like that, you know, just because they're not keeping in mind that there are people that actually need it. It's more so people that don't need it are using it. I see. So one of the things we also think about when we think about this term called disability is that it's something that is visible. We don't stop to think about the other types of disability, like the cognitive disabilities. You know, such as, as people you've mentioned, bipolar disorder or someone that may have um, associate disorder or ADHD, ADHD, things of that nature. So, so do you think that we've kind of stereotyped what disability looks like, what it's supposed to be? Um, I definitely think we've like put a stereotype on what disability looks like because as you said, we look, we think of disability as something that's physical um, and we don't take in regard um, as to what dis how broad disability goes. Um, now, I guess there's so many different disabilities out there that you, you probably don't even know about. So. You mentioned in an article that you looked at that talks about, you know, even I think in Hollywood, we talk about this notion that there's this terrible, I wouldn't say terrible, but I would say it's a weird conundrum. You have people who are able-bodied who play people who are disabled. Does that make sense? What do you think about that, Chad? Um, I think I think sometimes, you know, it can work. A lot of times it doesn't really make sense, but sometimes like in the case of whenever Jamie Foxx played Ray Charles and Ray, you know, because there could be someone who is blind who loves music and they see that mo uh, that movie and they may feel, you know, inspired by something like that. But I could also see how, um, you know, maybe disabled people may feel um, some type of way about that because the people who are acting it out aren't really, you know, they don't really know exactly what it feels like to live that way. So it's basically giving out uh, basically like the wrong perception of what being disabled is? Well, it's interesting because, so I'm going to go to share a screen real quick because when we talk about the images of those who are disabled, one of the first TV programs that talked about or showed people being disabled, you know, that had mass appeal was this TV show, and I'm aging myself, I'm a little older than you all, sorry about that, um, 
and I'm going to put this out there. I'm not sure you probably recall it, but let's see if you might get it. Let's see if you can recall. Well, you won't recall it, but I'm going to put it out anyway. And it's this old TV show they have called Ironside. So the premise of the show is that you have this individual who was a chief of detectives in San Francisco in the 60s. And he was shot by an assassin's bullet. And as he was shot by the assassin's bullet, he didn't get killed, obviously, but became a paraplegic. And as he became a paraplegic, you know, he said, I'm still going to become a cop. I'm still going to do my job as a cop, as a special consultant. And so as you looked at this, um, the ironic thing was is that the late Raymond Burr was able-bodied. And here's the interesting twofer about this. The late Raymond Burr was a closeted gay man also. So, and then as you take a look here, they then did a reincarnation of the series back in 2012-13 with Blair Underwood, African-American, again, playing the character of Robert T. Ironside. And, and I think the question is, you know, is this a fair depiction, if you will, of people who are disabled. I think one of the articles you mentioned, someone talked about it, that there was this notion that you have those types of characters who are playing the, quote, exceptional person who is wheelchair bound or the exceptional person who is blind. Someone give me some insight on that. I think it was you, Christian, that read that. Uh, Christian that read that article. Um, I had another article that like discussed um, the representation of you know disabled people in the media and how they feel like mainstream media continues to allow able-bodied people to play non-able-bodied roles, as we were just talking about. But um, I guess they feel like um, the community is being held as like a sideline in the power because like a Cylon or a silo. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I took no, well, it's, it's oh. Cylon, but um, basically having able-bodied people play those types of people, it's, it, it kind of sugarcoats, you know, what really goes on and how like the world actually really treats disabled people. I kind of, I feel like they sweeten it up a little bit and they don't show like the backlash that disabled people actually get and how, um, things are just not as sweet. Right, right. We're gonna take a quick break. And after we get this break, we're gonna come back and we're gonna go ahead and continue this dialogue because we have some more information. As a matter of fact, so because this is our show season finale, if you will, we're actually gonna do something that's a little different. All of you were asked to create a PSA that deals with diversity and inclusion, which is like your final project for the class. And so I think as we're having this conversation on disability, Ms. Sanchez gave us a, a PSA on disability. So Ms. Sanchez, if you don't mind, we're gonna take a break with your PSA. We'll see you in about 30 seconds. 1.3 billion people are affected by some form of blindness or visual impairment. 466 million people have a disabling deafness and hearing loss. About 200 million people have an intellectual disability. And 75 million people need a wheelchair on a daily basis. People see the disability rather than the person. But disability is not an inability. A person's ability may be different, but it's still an ability. Don't let it define you. You control your own destiny. Very good. What'd you all think about that? I really liked it. I liked how she said disability isn't an inability. Um, I was when I was doing my research, I found that a lot of able-bodied people stereotype people with disabilities as like just not being happy or being able to have a successful life. So I feel like that's something we need to hear more that disability isn't an inability. Very good. And so when we think about the portrayals of disability in the media, again, I'm aging myself, but then there've been some more contemporary, as you pointed out with Ray Charles, um, who had, who was blind. Um, you also had the portrayal of John Nash, who was schizophrenic in the film A Beautiful Life, or Beautiful Mind, rather. Um, 
and then of course you had Monk. But the most recent, the most recent, and actually an Acad- Academy Award-winning uh, performance of Disability was with he- uh, not Heath Ledger, but Joaquin Phoenix, who portrayed of all people the Joker. Talk to me about what you think about that. So this is Joaquin Phoenix, and he played a character, the Joker. And this is interesting, talking about a stereotype. So the media has a long track record of using stereotypes to portray people with disabilities. The stereotypes can be negative or positive, but either way, they're rarely accurate. And so although these may seem more realistic portrayals of people with disability media stereotypes, they are too common. So it's interesting. The first stereotype is the villain. And as you can see here, you have Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. Let's digest that. What do you all think? Um, I, um, I think that it's a very common thing. Um, we see a lot of movies about with people with disabilities. It's always a negative or sad or a pity or something that's not very happy basically um movie that's about someone with a disability is never in a positive light um i'm not i don't understand why they make it that way because there are people that are very successful who have disabilities or who live great lives and they have disabilities so i'm not sure why why do you know it's money based by um directors and people like that uh, do movies that are like negative because that's what people are drawn to and those are the stereotypes that are based around people with disabilities but yeah someone else I think that article made a really good point about when they talk about the stereotypes and the villain as the first one a lot of the stereotypical villains are they have some type if they have a disability or some type of mental disability Like, very rarely, if they play the villain, it's a physical disability versus another stereotype that article mentions, like the superhero or the victim. And I think when it comes to those stereotypes, it's like those, the superhero or the victim is always someone who has a physical disability. And, like, the villain is usually someone who has a, um, like, cognitive disability. Well, you just tapped on Stereotype number two is the superhero. And then you see here with... Uh, Daredevil, which is the Netflix series, blind man able to now see at night, um, but he is almighty, extremely super powerful. Um, or you could take a look at Bruce Wayne and Batman, who clearly has, in my honest opinion, uh, he would represent someone that has some sort of a disassociative disorder. Uh, they even talked about that, I think, in the third Batman film with Val Kilmer. So, yes, and then you do talk about the other stereotype they mentioned, which is the victim. So, someone unpack the victim stereotype. What is that? Yeah, so, um, like, in the example shown in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, basically, um, he's he's kept locked in a tower because um, the man who took him in is basically telling him, you know, the public, they're going to fear you, that you, you look like a monster, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I just bo- I put him out. Let me put him back in. My mistake. Um, yeah. So basically, basically just making him feel bad about himself, and it it just goes to show how it's it's basically basically showing how um, this being disabled is a, a sad thing, and that's you know that's not true at all because, like you said, uh, be, uh, having a disability isn't an inability, but that's what that movie portrays. So. Um, as, as you guys were saying, it can be like misleading at times. Do you think that even in our reality TV show culture that we kind of take advantage of those with disabilities? Are there some television shows and reality TV that, that we could actually look at and say, wow, they're kind of like, they're kind of riding this for monetary gain? Um. Yes, I. Oh, I think the show um, "Little People." They have Ooh. little people, women um, for LA. Um, I want to say Atlanta too, but um, it's basically a show just basically on 
the lives of like five women who are little people but it's more of like um like a drama it's all about drama like they fight each other um like it's not really in a positive light there are some positive things like people who have left the show they've kind of did their own thing because the show is basically centered around drama and things in a negative way so there are some people that go and take their own route and make it make their life more positive um but yeah someone else um this isn't like a tv show or not or anything but uh a lot of times we've seen recently on like instagram and tiktok and stuff like that a lot of people with disabilities take their disability and kind of like run with it i can't name these people by names because i don't like keep up with them but i'm pretty sure you've guys seen them on TikTok or Instagram before, just kind of like using their disability as a way to make money. And they kind of like clicked up with other disabled people through social media just to like, you know, get a gain on that. And I don't really know how to look at that in like a positive or negative way because I don't know how that represents other disabled people like in society. Another disability that we could think about too is this issue of elephantitis. You know, elephantitis, of course, there was an issue of the elephant man um, and then now we're looking at shows like My 600 Pound Life, where we're looking at people who are morbidly obese, who are having to literally cut out of their houses. It's almost as though that we are, I would say that our culture, I don't know if we're doing a service or not to our culture, our media culture at least, when we take this reality TV show culture and then we monetize off of it. I think another one is Hoarders. Yeah. And I think the other one, there's another TV show they had some time ago. I think, what was it called? Intervention. Where we looked at that. So so I want to know more about some of the things that you've researched on this topic. As we go back and talk about, you know, this issue, ableism and so forth, we also want to talk about the whole piece on, I guess... There were some other media examples that you all talked about. You mentioned um, positive and negative examples. Someone talked about Forrest Gump. Let's talk about Forrest Gump. Um, so basically, uh, in Forrest Gump, there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where, as though um, he's getting off the bus with this girl that he likes, because in the in the movie he has polio, which makes his muscles very weak, so he has to wear leg braces. And these three boys are bullying him and uh, throwing rocks at him and chasing him with uh, their bikes. And the girl tells him to run. And he basically, like, starts running. And his leg braces, like, fall off of his legs. And he just takes off and starts running really fast. And, like, like, like nothing's wrong. And, like, I feel like that was for ratings, too. Because, okay, yeah, that, that makes for a great movie. But it's not very realistic, you know. Good point. Good point. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. Again, as I said before, today we are celebrating the PSAs of the students in this course. And again, the assignments the students have to do, a final assignment our students have to do to complete the course. And the ones that I've seen, especially given the short amount of time they've pulled off, are just, you know, I'm impressed. The quality of the work is great. We've had to come up with some workarounds. But I'm very happy with some of the things that they talked about. Again, this is an issue, our class that deals with media diversity, and we deal with a lot of issues that talk about diversity. And, and one particular issue of diversity, we're talking about the politics of representation, specifically that of black men. And I want to talk about this one that Mr. Scott has put together. Mr. Scott, talk to us about this spot that we're going to take a look at on Without My Dad. So Without My Dad is a PSA talking about the uh, gross misrepresentation and myth that black fathers aren't involved in their uh, children's lives. Okay. So when we get back, we'll continue to talk about disabilities. We're also going to now talk about this PSA about Without My Dad. As what, what do you say? Don't believe the hype. Break the stereotype. Without my dad, I would have never gained an interest in sports. With this interest, it led me into pursuing a career in mass communications where I want to become a sports camera operator. Uh, without my dad, uh, I wouldn't have gotten into politics. Without my dad, I don't think I would have discovered my love for movies and be doing what I'm doing today. According to the CDC, 2.5 million black fathers 
are living with their children. 70% of black fathers with newborns were not only nurturers but caregivers with more daily duties compared to their other racial counterparts. From medical appointments to sporting events to graduation day, black fathers are engaged in their children's lives. Don't believe the hype? Break the stereotype. Black dads do matter. What do y'all think? What do you think? I like was. how you added um, real pictures of you and your father. I thought that was like heartwarming. Okay. That's good. Someone else, what's some other feedback? I like the message that you like put across. And I like like the beginning, how you said like without my dad, that was like a dope concept. I like how you did that. Yeah, I like um, what you show as well. Um, it definitely brings light to a situation. Well, a topic that definitely needs to be touched on is actually um, really big. Um, yeah, you did great. One of the things that we're talking about, again, as we said before, on the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet is disabilities. But we often do not talk about mental wellness. And recently, just recently, last week, last Friday, um, one, in, in my opinion, in the hip-hop pantheon went to be with the ancestors, Earl Simmons, Darkman X, a.k.a. DMX. And, and, and to be real, that, that just kind of hurt my heart. Because when we think about DMX, this man was so prolific. He had so many talents to give. He was a powerful lyricist. And to be honest with you, he was, in my honest opinion, a future evangelical uh, man of the word, but a man also who had so many demons to wrestle. And as we talked about this thing about um, Black Dads Matter, we have to also talk about the fact of Black mental wellness. What's happening in the sphere of mental wellness? What's going on with that? Why do or why do we not talk about that? Personally, I feel like um, we are now getting to a point where like the stigma is kind of getting lifted from mental health. But I do think it has been a stigma, especially in communities of color with mental health. Luckily, I was brought up in a family where that was always something like important and like that my family thought about because my mom worked in that field. But I know for a lot of communities of color, my best friend is Hispanic and she had like multiple stories about just her struggles with mental health and how her elders and her family don't really understand it. So I think as we get more open and honest about stuff, um, we'll see less people having stories like DMX. So, but the mental health issue. So as students, I will talk to you as students, as one who's who goes to meetings at the system, the university system, and is one who is a proponent of faculty mental wellness. COVID-19, it has had a serious impact on student mental health. Tell me about how you all have coped or do you see an uptick in students who feel that they can't cope? Um, I, I definitely feel, you know, um, both ways, you know, for me personally, um, you know, having to deal with COVID, you know, um, two people got it in my family, but also knowing while being in school, I know that, hey, you know, everyone else has issues as well. And, you know, um, going back to whenever you got sick, it was like, you know, I didn't want to you know, email you or bother you because I know you were going through a hard time. And I feel like a lot of um, students go through that because, you know, everything is online now. You can't meet up with your teachers in their offices like you used to. And, um, you know, with all the workload and everything, I feel like it can be hard for a lot of students. What are some of the things, I mean, I appreciate your transparency. Thank you for that. As we talk about this notion about mental resiliency, we really, I mean, why? We don't see mental wellness or mental behavioral disorders as a disability. Why do you think that's the case? I think... I think it's because when it comes to like black people specifically and just like our, our journey in America and our struggle is, is if, if something is physical, if something is physically wrong with you, you can tell, you can see it, right? 
you say, oh, my leg is broken. I need a crutch. Help me out. Or, or oh, my arm is broken. I need a sling. Help me out. But when it's something mental, when it's something that you can't physically see and people are trying to express to you and people can't, like, really understand what you're going through, people are, you're going to be less likely to ask for help or, or less likely to receive help based on that. Because when it comes to mental illness in the black community, like, largely well i can only speak from my background so like i'm 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 a christian right i'm baptist right and when it comes to mental illness and stuff like a lot of people just pray it away or a lot of people just say that's demons and all that stuff and go about their day when you should be going to therapy or like going to a psychiatrist to get medicated someone else take that i agree with that i feel like that's the hardest part about it is the fact that you can't see um something that's physically wrong and it's within you and then explaining that um i feel like in the black community um mental health issues are often pushed under the rug and shrugged off and laughed off but um it's something that's um really big now and definitely deserves attention um from i guess us as the black community I also think a lot of it is not that people aren't aware, but well, not it is that people aren't aware, but a lot of people in communities of color just simply don't have the resources to go and like seek help to see if there's something wrong with their child or whereas other communities might. So I do think like not having like access to um, healthcare and stuff also plays a part because more people of color don't have access to healthcare, which is how you find out a diagnosis. So I do think resources and stuff like that also play a part in why it is such like something we don't really talk about or fix, I guess you could say. So I'm going to pivot just a smidge to a popular television show. We all know what it is. It's the most popular medical drama called Grey's Anatomy. I'm trying to bring up an image of it. And I don't, do any of you watch Grey's Anatomy? You don't watch network TV. Okay. Shame on you. <laughs> You're media people. You need to start watching um, some of the TV because you've got to start analyzing it. And one of the things that I saw in the storyline was that the chief of surgery or the chief resident, uh, African-American man, uh, his wife, African-American woman played by uh, Broadway legend Loretta Devine, she's dealing with Alzheimer's. And it's weird because, again, for the first time, I think, you don't see African-Americans dealing with, you know, this type of level of decomposition. Um, in many cases, we don't have storylines of African-Americans that deal with the challenges of mental wellness. But if we think about the film A Beautiful Mind, which was directed by Ron Howard, and I believe uh, Russell Crowe starred in it, talked about the mental decomposition of schizophrenia with uh, mathematical genius John Nash. What do we need to do, do you think, to, to one, talk about the issues of disability in our Black community as Black folk? Um, and, how we're, and what do we even classify as disability among our households? Is disability, I mean, and I say that again, not just with the physical, but I'm also talking about the psychological. When people self-medicate, again, I go back to DMX, self-medicated is way to death. Um, Don't give uh, me crickets. Don't give me crickets. No, uh, I, I just feel like, especially in our community, you know, we have to, you know, um, not be afraid to speak up when we feel like we're having a problem. And just, you know, always just love on each other, be gentle with each other. Um, don't be afraid to ask, you know, your family member or your friend if, if they're going through something, uh, because that stuff can go a long way. And a lot of times people like to just keep stuff bottled in. And then, you know, um, it can lead to very much worse things, you know, like taking medication or doing, you know, um, stuff even worse that can um, harm their health or um, put their life in danger. So we just have to, um, I think as black people, I think, you know, we need to, continue to just show love for each other and and don't be don't be afraid to ask people if something's wrong or if they're going through something very good 
again today on the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet, we are we are looking at the final show of our students for the semester. And again, all the students were asked to create their own diversity PSAs. And we're going to now pivot the issue from black dads to now talking about I'm going to hit you with two of them. I'm going to hit you with two that talk about gender. So we're going to deal with one that talks about the pay equity scale. And then we're going to talk about the Girls Lead Act. So who were the ones that did that? I did Girls Lead Act. So what are we going to see with Girls Lead Act? The Girls Lead Act, you'll see basically just a call to action on how to get involved with um, pushing this act to Congress and getting Congress assignment basically and Kristen you did the other one what's that one um it's basically just talking about um the equal pay act and how it hasn't really been enforced and it's still like a big gender pay gap that's affecting the working women of today okay so when we get back after this 60 second break we're going to continue to unpack this issue about disabling disability stereotypes and we're also going to start to now wrap up our semester and just have some chit chat about that. So we'll see you in about 60. The Equal Pay Act signed in 1963 is a labor law that prohibits gender-based wage discrimination in the United States. This law mandates that employers be forbidden from awarding unequal wages to men and women working the same jobs requiring the same skills, efforts, and responsibilities. But it's 2021 and women are still on average paid 17% less than men. There is absolutely nothing equal about a gender pay gap. Stand up and fight for the working women in your community. Girls and women have been disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Nearly 743 girls have been pushed out of school due to secondary consequences of this. Email Congress today via the Border Project website to support the Girls Lead Act. All you have to do when you get to their website is hit the Act Now tab and email Congress through the template provided. 2.5 million girls are now at risk of child marriage between 2020 and 2025. The future needs us. Act Now. Thank you. <laughs> so we had a few technical glitches, but it was a good attempt. I appreciate that. Technical glitches. Um, again, we are unpacking or we are disabling ableism here in the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. And I want to go to a report that we have from GLAAD. Now, for those who don't know, what is GLAAD? Could someone tell me what GLAAD is? Someone should Google up GLAAD. G-L-A-A-D. And while you're Googling... Oh. Okay. Yes. Yes. So what is so, it? <laughs> so GLAD is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Very good. And so why do you think that we need that? Why do you because, think that's a need for that? Because uh, the gay and lesbian community... Um, is very underrepresented when it comes to their uh, place in media. There are there are some changes. We're seeing things change, which is good. But I also have to applaud their work they're doing in regards to the politics of representation and matters of gender. So as we take a look at that, we're going to try to see what we've got here in their most recent report. So... I'm going to try to read into this representation of characters with disabilities. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but what we're learning here is that we're beginning to see more and more people, at least in some of the networks, they're now being depicted um, authentically. I think, let's see, in one case, they talk about NBC overwhelmingly uh, represents people with disability with 18 characters, um, which is 12% of the network series regulars who also have a disability this season with an increase from last year. These include characters on living with PTSD, a disability that's cognitive, um, on law and order. Um, you also have one who is mobility challenged. That's in New Amsterdam. And then you have one with traumatic brain injury, TBI. And that is there, I think, in another program. And they say CBS and ABC 
They are rounding it out as well. Um, on CBS, uh, NCNIS New Orleans, Adam is a wheelchair user. Uh, MacGyver has dwarfism. And CW, they talk about some changes they have there as well. Um, so it's rather interesting. Uh, you have a person on 911 that has cerebral palsy that's on Fox. So I think that says an off, it doesn't say that we've come a long way, but we're beginning to see that visibility. Talk to me about how that visibility is important and how that helps to shape our perceptions of reality. I think it's very important. I watched um, a few shows from the CW. Um, one was with deaf people and blind people. A few blind people were in there. That was switched at birth. Another two I watched, not from the CW, that really shaped my perception. Like that was important for me. Was atypical. He had autism, and then the show called Parenthood. The son had Asperger's, and for the ones about um, autism, I felt like. For me, not knowing anyone with autism, or at least not being aware that I know of anyone with autism at the time, it was kind of a wake up call just to like, just because someone might learn different doesn't mean like they're stupid or, you know, stuff like that. And I do think it's easy to look at people a certain way because they have different learning styles that you do as a person who doesn't have a disability. So watching shows like that really like, make me have a wake-up call for myself and how I view people with disabilities that aren't physical, I can mm -hmm. say. Right. ABC has their own entry with the show The Good Doctor. Um, he's, I think, I don't know if he is autism or Asperger's or a combination, but you have that entry. Long time ago, they had a show called Monk where the person was OCD. And so I think that's interesting. Um, what I guess we also need to begin to do, though, again, looking at the politics of race and ethnicity, is are we looking, are we, are we beginning to see, again, an onslaught of white people with this? Because, again, for me, my, my, I'm just married to this thing called mental wellness. We probably need to start seeing more people, in my honest opinion, African-American folks or people of color or biopic uh, who are dealing with these issues that deal with um, mental impairments or dealing with, let's say, behavioral, you know, challenges. I would love to see more of that. So let's go ahead and shift the gears, if you will, because this is our end of your show. We're down to our last 10, 15 minutes or so. And I want to find out more about what you all have taken away from this course over the course of this semester. Again, it has been a pandemic semester. Uh, this is the fifth semester for some of us who've been teaching. How has this course made an impact on you? What are you gonna take away from this course? What are some things that you can appreciate from this course? Well, no, one, everyone speak up at once. God. <laughs> uh, well, for one, I appreciate like, the way we were taught to, you know, gather research and put together something like this, like a show. Um, so I appreciate that a lot. But something that I'll take away from this class is all the information um, about diversity, um, especially the last one um, that we're doing now with the disabilities. Um, I feel like this one really stood out because I feel like I, um, I myself um, engage in some of those acts that I shouldn't. So this one to me stood out a lot. So I'm definitely going to take the information away from this show. But just really like all the different um, things we've learned um, regarding like diversity and how um, black people are represented in the media and stuff like that. Very good. Someone else. Um, I would say the experience for one. Um, I've never did a podcast before, so it was. I thought it was really cool for this class that that was something that we've that we've done. Um, also, I would take away just all the knowledge that I've gained and the research that I've done for the podcast and just the class overall. I've definitely learned a lot of things about every single topic that we've went over. So that's definitely some good things to know. Okay. Who else? Um, for me, it was more about like the process of uh, making this podcast. Being being somebody that also hosts their own podcast, 
Um, the Anything Period Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher. Yeah, just do all the shameless promotion you can. <laughs> wherever else you can get your podcast. Um, just, just going through this process and researching and uh, finding out like a different style of doing a podcast and just like doing going through that whole process and doing it in, in a specific amount of time it definitely gave me a, a a new way and a new style to uh do my podcast i appreciate that yeah. someone else um i'll i'll say um what i learned the most like the biggest thing i learned is taking the time you need doing the research you have to do and then preparing yourself for whatever it is. Um, why I didn't always apply myself, I learned a lot and I appreciate that, so. Okay. Let's go to Chad Norfleet. What, what I'll take away is definitely, you know, all the research we did and everything we learned, um, and, uh, you know, according to diversity. And basically it just opened my eyes, you know, made me more aware of stuff that's going on in the media, in the world. You know, such as disabilities, um, you know, researching that, you know, make um, now I have more information, you know, so now I can do more, uh, do more to help um, and help educate others as well. Um, everything we talked about from women to the media and basically everything we've learned so far. Um, I'm just really thankful for the information I've gained in this class. Great. And Miss Hayes, what about you? I just booted her. Go ahead. Oh, I've always liked research, but I just booted her. I did it again. Hold on. Go okay. back. I'm sorry. I booted you by mistake. <laughs> I was saying that I had liked research prior to this class, but one thing I realized is I didn't really get invested into topics I didn't find personally interesting. Um, I realized that with the sports, the women in sports journalism, and it um. I think that really, I started finding it interesting as I did it. And I think it just made me realize to do the research and do the work instead of like just being, staying in my own little comfort zone. Like this class really took me out my comfort zone, I guess I could say. Okay. All right. Now that we've had the happy, happy, joy, joy, what are some things that we can do better for the next, what would you recommend to the next group of students who come to the Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet? What are some of the things that you would recommend they do so they can make sure they're just as successful as you've been? Don't wait last minute and do the early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, talk about waiting to the last minute. I think I waited to the last minute on the podcast. I think it was the first one and I just feel like my stuff, the, what I was saying didn't really have substance. You can tell I wasn't that prepared. And I do think it shows when it's time for the show to come and you're on the um, spot. So yeah, I think just prepare yourself very well. Somebody else. Um, not, not only, no, not to wait that minute, but you know, don't, don't be afraid to step outside the box and get outside of your comfort zone. Um, you know, uh, don't be scared to do something that you've never done or learned before because you know, um, especially in this class, creativity is a big thing. And and just, you know, just be willing to take criticism and be willing to learn. I appreciate that. That's good. What could I have done to make it a better class? Anything? I, I'm honest here. Hmm. On that note, we'll go to commercial break and come back. We're going <laughs> to we're going to actually go to to Chad. Chad, why don't you set this spot up that you put together for us? It's on Women's Sports Foundation. Yes, so uh, Women's Sports Foundation, uh, they're working to help um, close the gender pay gap in women's sports because um, the margin is just so big between, you know, um, male athletes, salaries, and females, you know, um, especially, you know, female athletes who, who excel better in sports. And so uh, in soccer, the women's soccer team is – national finalist almost every single time they go to the Olympics and they still don't get paid nearly as much as the um our male USA team. So um they're just working with uh female athletes and other organizations to help try to close the gender pay gap and make things uh, more fair. Okay, so we're gonna take a last break and come back after taking a look at Mr. Norfleet's PSA.
One of the topics we cover in the Women's Sports Foundation is gender equality and helping fund women's sports. In many different ways, women's sports aren't given the same respect or benefits as men's sports, from things as simple as the meals to team gear, and a lot of this is due to funding. In the pros, they don't get nearly as much pay or funding as the men, but the Women's Sports Foundation is working with different women's sports organizations and players to help close the gender pay gap and make things more fair for women in the future. What'd y'all think? I like that. That was that was good. Um, I liked how the facts that he had mm-hmm. were very like short and to the point, and I can see them clearly. You can see them clearly now. Understand, he does not have a camera crew. He was able to get royalty-free footage, so he did not go out. I'm sorry to blush your bubble up. I ain't gonna let you go out like that. Uh, <laughs> you're a student. You're learning. You'll be there. But I do appreciate what you did there. I think we last ended the question, and then we're probably going to just go ahead and wrap it up for real. What are some things that you think that I can do as a professor to make this a better experience for all of you or for folks coming in next semester? I can take it. (laughs) Maybe have like a practice podcast at first to get people like loosened up so they can see it's not that bad. I know I was so nervous for the first one. I just feel like it wasn't. Like I shouldn't have been all that nervous. And I feel like maybe we had we done like a little run down podcast, I guess, that would mm. put my nerves out. Okay. What else? I think Noted. that um preparing people to host, like outside of everybody else, like I was the only person with like the experience and like who knew how to do it on the fly because that's the nature of my podcast. Right. Uh so I think preparing people, like not only to have the information ready. And to be able to speak on uh, whatever topics are on are at hand, but being able to like lead and being able to host a podcast that'll be helpful. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? Well, with that said, I am going to begin to wrap this up. I want to thank all of you for your hard work over the course of this semester. This has been an adventure. No, I did not expect to get sick, but I got sick and I got through it and we all got through it. Um, You all rose to the challenge. We took a course that could have been extremely theory driven. And what we did was we took something that, in my honest opinion, that made a real product that you can probably shop around, you know, for other things. You can say, I I put together a podcast. I, I, I produced a piece. I've done some things. And that's a good thing for you. Uh, But what I really want you to take away when you leave this course um, is the fact that you are not just consumers. You are now creators. You are now thought leaders. Okay, you are now the people who have to be critical consumers and producers of media. And it's important that those who are not who are just in front of the lens we have to have, make sure we have good representation behind the lens and make sure that those who tell the stories about us are us when we can and be prepared for criticism. I want to thank you all for your patience. I want to thank you all for your time, your energy on this journey. Tamara, Stuart, Chad, Kristen, Christian Northley, I'm correct, Kristen Stargell, Kristen Bowman, Ms. Hayes. I want to thank you all for taking the adventure with us. It has been a wonderful opportunity. I hope you all got something out of it. I know I did. And as we always say, look, be safe, be well, and we will see you at the next season in the fall of the Intellectual Soul Lunch Food. I got to get it right. Intellectual Soul Food Lunch Buffet. Everybody have a great semester. We'll see you soon. Take care. Be well. Thank you.